You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Podcast, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers all on the same journey to master their photography. My name is Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm solo again. <laughs> I've heard from several people, several listeners who are like, hey, I'd be, I'd be willing to come on the show if you need someone to come on. And I appreciate that. Thank you all so much. Um, if it was going to be longer, I probably would try to take you up on that. But Brent's supposed to be back next week with me. So uh, you can look forward to having Brent back on the show soon. Um, in this episode, I'm going to tackle a topic that it may be tough. Um, it may be, it may be long too. So I'm going to try my best. I've already done this recording once and it was like an hour and 40 minutes and I said, that's just too long. So I need to, to try to do it faster. So I'm going to try to keep this thing just moving and popping and we'll see how it goes. I'm going to start off though with, and so the topic actually is, uh, calibrating your screen. I want to, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about how to do that with the display cal in particular. I'll talk about why I'll, I'll go through that all in just a moment. First, those software updates. There's been a whole bunch of them. In May of 2020, there were a bunch of software updates. I'm happy to say you can go to my page at phototacopodcast.com. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I'm happy to say that I was able to update the status on Photoshop 21.1, which they now have uh, 21.1.3 that's released. I've upgraded it from weight because there were lots of problems. I didn't like any of the prior versions of 21.1. Uh, to caution. And so that's it. It means most of you should be fine with it. Um, there still may be some challenges. In fact, I know there's one little thing still with the Eulamenzia panel that's a, a problem, but it's it's not a, a really serious deal. And most of you are probably going to be fine. If you've been waiting to just have it be like most of you are fine, then go ahead. If you really rely on Photoshop, I'd still say wait, hold off just a little bit longer. Uh, this just hasn't had enough time for this release to be out to go above caution and maybe give it the seal of approval. So caution on that status. Then we have macOS Catalina is uh, 10.15.5 got released in May of 2020. I'm putting caution on that too, just because it still hasn't been long enough. So it, it looks okay. Um, the one thing that I'm not sure of was there's been a lot of reports on Catalina and issues with external hard drives. Now, I personally haven't seen that, but I've had lots of listeners contact me with issues with external hard drives and the forums, the Adobe forums are filled with people saying, why isn't Apple talking about this? Why are they doing something? And, uh, they still didn't say anything about it with this release. So I don't know how it is. It's too new. I want to give us some time for the forums to be able to kind of react to what's going on there. And, um, and we'll see. So it's a caution on that one too. Most of you are probably okay. If you've already installed Catalina, then you're probably okay to apply this update. Um, if you haven't, and, and especially if you're using external hard drives, I'd wait on Catalina for right now until there's like positive confirmation that that's addressed. Uh, Catalina has been a, a tough, tough update for Apple. Okay. Finally, there's Microsoft Windows 10. They had a release in late May as well. They call it version uh, you probably should pronounce it 2004 <laughs> for like 2020 and, you know, 04 for the month. And it wasn't 04, it was 05, but whatever. That's uh, the way that they're naming their releases. This one's been a little weird from Microsoft. They have been in like testing phases of this release for a seriously long time. And I don't know why there was like this massive lead up to it. There's not even like significant functionality changes, not, no new features that are really a big deal or anything. Uh, so I, I don't know, it kind of feels like the date came and because of the date, 
they had to release this. I'm not sure how ready it is. So I'm not even giving this one a caution yet. I'm giving this a wait. If you are using Windows 10 Pro where you can actually control when you get the update, then I, I would not install it yet. I am not installing it myself. I'm, I'm waiting to see kind of what the experience is in forums. This is the computer I use most of the time to edit my photos. I don't want to have any problems. And, um, and then, you know, just keep listening and wait. There's this, the software updates page over at phototacopodcast.com. You can go check that out. And you can subscribe so you get an email whenever I update any of these statuses as well. So you don't have to wait for the podcast to be able to, to get that. So there's a link in the show notes to how you can subscribe to that email from phototacopodcast.com. All right, screen calibration. This is a big, big topic. Um, and there's been like some passion behind this. And it seems like every corner of photography I go through, there ends up being passion. Um, I guess we're just a passionate lot. I, I don't know what it is. It's it's interesting to me. Um, and, and, or maybe it's just as you get, you know, really deep into something, there's passion as you dive deeper into a, a, any kind of topic in this world. But screen calibration definitely has some passionate, passionate people. I want to start off with a disclaimer, <laughs> which seems to be super common among people who start looking into this in any amount of depth. Uh, I am far from being an expert on screen calibration. Uh, <laughs> I am riding the coattails of lots of people who really know what they're talking about with this. It seems like you could spend your entire life studying this. It, it looks that way anyway. The technical information that's available it is really tough to get through. Um, there's a lot of math involved in really understanding it, I think. And there's no way I'm interested even in going into that level of depth. I mean, I guess if I had tons of time, it would be interesting to me to see if I could even understand it fully. But I don't today. And I recognize that. What I'm going to share with you in this episode is what I have been doing as a person who just wants to get a good end result. And the things that I have read and seen to get there, I'm going to give you some recommendations based on several years of experience doing this. And what I have seen others say about this. I'm going to say that a lot through this episode about I've seen in the forums or I've heard people tell me this. And then I've used that information and been able to arrive at good results. That's the approach I'm going to take here. So totally not an expert. <laughs> I probably can't answer questions. And there may be listeners who are way more knowledgeable about this than I am. And I'd welcome your your input and feedback. If, if you've got something to correct me on in my guide. I'd love to have my guide be as valuable to photographers as possible. And if there's something that I'm saying here or in my guide that is not fully technically correct, I'm happy to take that input as a non-expert and be able to get things to be more correct. I just want to make sure it's a very consumable guide too. So that's the challenge I've had with a lot of the stuff I've looked into was there's so much technical information about this and it's such a complicated topic that they that it often ends up with people being like, I don't even know what you just said, specifically in the forums. There'll be like a, an answer from someone who's really knowledgeable, an expert in this area who writes a reply to a question and the first re reaction from from so many is, I'm going to have to take some time to even understand what you just wrote there. <laughs> and it's not very consumable to like a normal person who doesn't fully understand everything behind screen calibration. And I think it, it gets people frustrated and then they just like, like decide to abandon it. So, um, so with that disclaimer in place that I am not an expert, I'm just relaying kind of the information that I've derived from several years of trying this out. Let's go through what it is I'm going to share on how I think you should do this. 
Um, the first question is like, who should do this? What what photographers should do this? I saw this recently I, in one of the mainstream photography things too, of uh, someone else's opinion on when they should do it. So when is it important to calibrate your screen? At what point in your journey, we talk about this journey to mastering your photography all the time. At what point is it worthwhile to calibrate your screen, to spend the time, uh, time is a big factor and I'll tell, tell you why throughout this. When is it, it the time and and financial uh, impact like th this isn't totally free to do this well you are gonna have to make some investment um, to me the the point where this becomes something you should look into is the point where you are doing paid client shoots so I don't think a beginner who is starting just starting getting into photography who's trying to figure out the exposure triangle who doesn't have lenses you are better off spending investing your time and money on workshops and training and lenses and there's a lot of other things to go for before you worry about this specific aspect i think there's a lot of listeners that are kind of between that between like not needing that piece but haven't done screen calibration and that's what this episode and this guide's really going to be for i think it's valuable for beginners to still listen to this though so you know like what's ahead of you and you know that at some point in the future when you get to this place that it's ready to go um, the reason I think it's good for photographers who are ready or doing client shoots to do this, I think the screen calibration gives you the very best chance of delivering the highest quality product to your client. And it's not to say you can't do it without it. You certainly can. You can do like a lot of trial and error. You can like just be lucky and, and have a screen that's pretty close to calibrated to, to begin with. And, and uh, a lot of people have argued with me that Macs are just pre-calibrated and ready to go. And I can tell you that's not true. And even if it were, all displays, it doesn't matter who makes it, all displays over time, they change, they drift, they, they don't stay exactly the same in how they perform and how well they reproduce colors on your screen. So you have to recalibrate even periodically. And I'm going to go at the very end of this episode, I'm going to talk about how you can kind of figure out if it's time to do that. So my point is, I think that this gives you kind of a, a baseline. This gives you a, a way to be able to do this so that you can deliver the very best product. Now, the argument I've heard against this all the time, and I've some very, some photographers I respect a lot have told me they feel like screen calibration is just a complete waste of time and money. There's no reason to do it. Even if you're doing paid shoots, you don't have to do this. This, this is something that is made a big deal of that isn't. Um, and the biggest argument for that that they provide is you can't control what your clients are looking at your images on. You, you don't control how their screen is configured. You don't control with a quality level of their screen. So it doesn't really matter with because of how they're looking at it. And really, uh, they say the place where it might help might be of value is if you're printing, then you and that's just so that you don't waste a bunch of time on prints that look different on the in the print than they did on the screen. Okay, maybe calibration does that, but you can kind of just do trial and error a little bit to figure out how to change your screen or change like output settings as you print to make it look right. And totally true. And maybe they were so frustrated <laughs> by by this process of what it takes to do screen calibration that they they opted for that that trial and error <laughs> test and and uh, and try it out. Um, over doing screen calibration. But I really think that this, especially with this guide I'm going to give you, I think you can do this 
Um, I'm going to tell you how to do it like with the least amount of expense and uh, uh, getting to a result that for me has been pretty consistent and, and helpful to me. Even as a, a, a hobbyist, I do a fair number of client shoots these days, um, especially I just got through like a super busy time where we did a lot of seniors and, and family shoots and I still have a couple coming up. But And, and that's contributed to why the podcasts are being so late because I've had so much client work to do. Um, anyway, the let's go through what it is you do to do the screen calibration. It's going to be up to you to decide, am I at a place where you think this is valuable or helpful to you? Uh, I, you certainly can accomplish a lot without doing screen calibration. You can do really, really well with your images without going through this. Uh, but at some point in your journey, you may decide, and maybe that's now, maybe I'm triggering this for you, uh, that it's time to add this to your workflow and make it so that you you are going to use this. Okay, so how to calibrate your screen, and I'm going to specifically say using DisplayCal, and I'll explain more about this. DisplayCal is some free open source software. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, if I've convinced you that you need to calibrate your screen, let's go through how to do it. And I have nine steps, and then I'll have like a 10th bonus step on that whole, is it time to recalibrate at the very end. So step number one to photography screen calibration using DisplayCal is the quality of the screen. So it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to invest your time and money into what you're gonna do for the rest of these steps if you've got a really poor quality screen. If you're using a monitor that's not very good, then it's not going to matter too much. In fact, it may be difficult to even get calibration to work well. And the screens that I'm going to recommend as kind of the entry point here, it's like the bare minimum, <laughs> are the things that I went through in my five things photographers need in a computer monitor. There's an article I'll link to in the show notes. It was another episode here on Master Photography a few weeks ago. So there's tons of information in there about what to look for. But those are like the very baseline things. There are certainly much better monitors. And as I've dove, as I've gone into the depths of screen calibration, I've seen the experts talk about how they don't even think these that I'm recommending are even adequate for baseline. <laughs> like there's so much variation and, and the quality level is low enough that, that I, they're saying like, it's, it's not really going to do what it is we're all trying to do with screen calibration. I disagree just based on the results I'm getting. I like that what I'm seeing after I calibrate the screens. And I like it that I've been able to get a couple of screens to at least look like each other. And that helps me with more consistency in my images, I'll say. Um, maybe it would be a massive difference and, and I, my eyes would be opened if I bought a more expensive screen. But that's just not in the cards for me. As a hobbyist photographer who does a few paid shoots a year, uh, it's not worth the massive amount of investment it would take to get a screen. I'd love to have one. I'd love to see what it's like to have a much higher quality screen. And if you can afford it, and if you really want to get into this, that's absolutely where I know the experts are going to drive you to. But you need at least that minimum baseline. If you don't have at least, and, and so just to detail it really quickly, 1440p monitor, 27-inch screen with an IPS panel. The panel technology is really important. Uh, a UA panel is decent, and I didn't bring that up in that last episode with the monitors, but that's it's a good it's good enough. What you don't want is a TN panel. Those are good for gamers. It's good for refresh rates and things that gamers really need. It's not um, the color reproduction and the, the way that the panels work. Uh, if you want to do screen calibration, then IPS or 
if you have to, a UA screen. Um, all right, so that that's that kind of a thing. Um, if you don't know what screen you've got, it's probably not good enough. <laughs> so so go, you need to probably go and uh, check out that episode. And that's the first step is getting the screen. If, if your budget doesn't allow the screen plus the getting the next piece of equipment I'm going to tell you about, then get the screen first and start using that. Don't worry about calibrating it yet until you get the budget to be able to buy step number two to photography screen calibration. And that is the uh, colorimeter. So after you get that screen you have to buy a software tool that's going to be able to run some measure or sorry, a hardware tool that's going to run some measurements in conjunction with the screen calibration that you're going to do. Now there are software based screen calibrations that you can run. There's, there's actually quite a few things some of it's built into windows 10, some built into Mac. You can, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And the idea is you can like have the software is going to show you a bunch of different patterns or pictures on the screen. You're going to make some adjustments either using software sliders or even the hardware buttons. It might tell you to, to change the sliders, a little, the buttons a little bit or the menus of your, of your screen. Um, but my experience has been they, they've done more harm than good for me. And our eyes are really susceptible. Our brains adapt to things so much. It's, it's really tough to, to, to rely on your eyes as a way to do screen calibration, which is all you have when you do software-based calibration. So my opinion is you should just not even do that. Like, I don't know that it helps you. It, and it, it could actually hurt making things look different than they're supposed to uh, in, in bad ways. So I highly recommend you don't even mess with it. If, if you don't want to do hardware screen calibration, just don't do calibration. That would be, that's how I would recommend it. Okay, so if you are going to do hardware recommend uh, calibration, you need a colorimeter. That's what these devices are called that are going to be able to take measurements um, of your screen as it is kind of displaying different colors and tones to the screen. You have basically two consumer level non-lab quality options <laughs> um, in the in this world today. Uh, the the first is is from Xrite is one one vendor who sells colorimeters and spectrometers and, and equipment in this area. Um, they the one that I'm going to recommend from them is one called i1 Display Studio. It costs hundred and fifty dollars, and it replaces the color monkey display. That's actually the device I'm using, but in 2019, they kind of revamped it a little bit. They renamed it to I one display studio. It's essentially the same device. Uh, I don't believe there's significant like measurement precision capabilities that were changed between the color monkey display and the I one display studio. Uh, I think they made some like connection, like USB C options, stuff like that. So anyway, that that's the, that's one of them. The other option is from a company called data color. And they have a line of colorimeters called the spiders, S-P-Y-D-E-R. Uh, the one that seems to this most current that is kind of the same level of precision or supposed to work similar to the i1 Display Studio from X-Rite is called the Spider X Pro. It is also $150. Now, $150 may seem like a lot for this. You're you're thinking, okay, I'm mildly interested in screen calibration, but I just had to spend, you know, several hundred dollars on a monitor. And now you're telling me I have to spend $150 more to get a little tool that's going to measure the screen. 
yes, that's true. And I totally think it's worth it. Even for a, a hobbyist, like even if you aren't shooting clients, I, I do think that's the point where you really need to get into screen calibration. But I think there's value even before that. I think there's value in doing screen calibration as a hobbyist. I started doing it a year into my photography journey. And it was because of inconsistencies I was seeing between the, my screens in my house. I would It looked very different from my screen that I was editing on to a screen that my wife would be looking at or my kid's laptop or my phone. And I wanted to try to get it to be more consistent across those devices. And again, you can't control how those devices are configured. So it's going to look different across the screens, but the way it looked different was not what I was, what, what, that was what I was unhappy with, hard for me to say. <laughs> and I wanted to fix that and screen calibration helped me with that. It helped me to improve it. So I really think the 150 bucks is worth spending on this and um, it, it's good. Now, both X-Rite and Datacolor offer more expensive options than those two that I just outlined. Uh, they're not tremendously more expensive. It's up into the, you know, 220, 250, something like that range. So they're not terribly more expensive, but they are more expensive. I don't think it's worth it unless, and really there's not like a precision difference. It, it's not a more precise measurement out of them as I understand it. It's that they work faster is the biggest advantage. They operate more quickly. And time is money, so that may very well be worth your investment to upgrade to one of those other models. Um, but I don't think it is for most of you listening. I think you're going to do this rarely enough that, yes, it may take you know two or three times more time. Uh, I've seen in the forums that they actually think that it's only about 30% faster, even though marketing says five times faster, at least for the, um, for the X-Rite models. So 30% more speed. I, I'm not sure it's really, really worth the extra money, but that's totally up to you. If you, if time is massive money to you and you want things to go faster, you may as well spend the extra little money to get the slightly upgraded device. Um, now, deciding between these two is a tough, and there's a tough thing, and there's a lot of passion. This is one of those areas where there's a lot of passion I've heard from photographers on this. Um, both devices work on both Mac and PC. Not a problem there. Both devices will function in the DisplayCal software, so not a problem there. They're both about the same price, so there's not a lot of differentiation just based on those things alone. Here's what I'm going to do. I... I am going to personally recommend the i1 display product, and that's and it, it from Xrite. Um, I have really loved the product that I have, and I I've had really good experience with it. I have never used a Data Color Spider product, so I can't personally speak to it. But even better than my own recommendation, my own experience with it for several, many years, this Color Monkey display has done great. Um, there is a really strong preference in the forums by by experts, by people who know what they're talking about for the X-Rite products over the data color products. And even more than just a preference, you really need to check out an article over at Photography Life from um, a ghostwriter who calls himself the color consultant. I'm not sure why he wants to be anonymous, but he does. And he maybe it's because he clearly says you really need to use the X-Rite product and not the data color product. So go check that article out. Um, if you already have a spider, I'm not saying you should get rid of it and it's garbage and, and throw it away. I'm saying there's a preference. If you don't have a color emitter today, then I would 
I would go with the X right, and that's going to be my dude out of the week anyway. And and you know you're going to have to make a decision there. Um, both can work. I've seen some people in the forums of the Display Cow say that they were fine with X with Spider. So it's up to you. But um, my preference and my recommendation is going to be the X right. Uh, brand okay or vendor step number three now to photography screen calibration using display cal is to actually install display cal and i, I needed to walk through this because there's a couple of nuances that i needed to walk through um now and the first nuance to, to go through is why am i not using the software that comes bundled with your colorimeter when you buy either one of those colorimeters i just talked about from xrite or data color it comes with software to use it i mean of course it does you would it would make a lot of sense to buy the hardware intended to use this and doesn't come with any software to run it. So they do package it with it. Um, my own experience with it is dated at this point. I used the X-Rite software initially as I was doing it. My challenge that I had was it was super simple, really, really simple. It went really fast to go through it. And I did kind of like the results, but I was puzzled about some inconsistency with the results. As I kept doing it over time, I, I learned very early on that your display drifts over time and you have to recalibrate. So I started getting into the practice of like running a calibration before any client shoot. I don't do them that often. Uh, well, it happens too recently, but most of the time there, there's kind of a lot of time in between them. So that was a good gauge about like, well, it's been some time since I've done it. I'm about to do a client shoot. I want to make sure I can give them the best I can. I'm going to calibrate. And I would be kind of surprised at like, especially when there's two screens, I couldn't get the two screens to calibrate the same. It, it was a, a, a challenge. And so I started to look into this. Like I figured, well, I know very little about this. Maybe the problem here is that I just am doing something wrong. It's got to be. So I started to search on like inconsistent screen calibration. And I really quickly ran into tons of forums and posts of people saying, well, don't use the software that comes packaged with the colorimeter. You should really use DisplayCal. And so I started to check out DisplayCal. And I went through this. It was kind of painful. That's why I'm going to make this guide. But it was worth it because I was able to get more consistency in my screen calibrations. It's been a while, so it could be that the software today from X-Rite and Data Color is better and would produce more consistent results. I haven't tried it for a while because I found DataCal and I've been using DataCal for some time. But if you're having inconsistency problems, maybe this is something to give a try. And if you're just starting into this, I really just recommend skipping the, the default software because I can't attest to how well that works or doesn't and just using DisplayCal because I'm going to give you a guide on how to do it. And it, it seems like, uh, at least from what I'm seeing in the forums, there's something to this, <laughs> that this software is just better built to, to manage this. Um, but it, I don't know. I can't really speak to the software today very well. So Take it for what it's worth. If you want to use that software, it's super simple. Run through it. Go use it. And and if it's producing really good results for you, awesome. Keep going with that. Uh, but if not, if you want to try this, I'm going to tell you how. Okay. So the first step is to download the software. It's free and open source. Um, and not that you're going to go to do anything with the source, but it's totally free. And that's awesome to be able to have something that's, that's really good to be able to do that. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's displaycal.net uh, to just go there and you can download it. Um, you install the software just like you do on any 
software on your computer. It's exactly the same. There is, a, uh, I do want to make a couple of notes about this during like the installation. First off on Windows only, Mac doesn't do this, but on Windows, you are presented with a choice uh, right at the beginning as you're installing. Um, and it's the, the a choice on calibration loading on login. And you can choose, the default is let DisplayCal handle the calibration loading. And they have in parentheses there, it's the high precision and more reliable option. Or you can let the operating system, meaning Windows, handle the calibration loading, which they put in a note there, is low precision and unreliable. <laughs> and uh, I think what this is, is that there's, Windows doesn't do a very good job of managing the profile over time. Software can touch that profile or change the profile, change stuff with your color settings. It It's like it, it kind of on boot, it'll set it to whatever you want it to be. And then it ignores whatever happens from there. And stuff can happen. Um, I don't know what, I don't know how that works, but that's how I, I this, I'm thinking about this. And I've opted to let DisplayCal manage it because they're telling me it's more precise and reliable. Sounds good to me. And I do it. It means that you have this little tiny utility on startup that is going to like watch like a hawk. And I, I've observed this happening. I've tried to go change the profile myself in Windows 10 under the settings in the control panel and you can't do it. Uh, DisplayCal immediately like swaps it right back. It's it's good. So I recommend that you do that. A couple of other notes. Um, you don't have to install the software from Datacolor or, Data or x that comes with your colorimeter at all. Like it, I think it used to be years ago, they kind of needed the drivers, like where it was with like Windows XP or Windows 7 along the way or long time back with Mac OS. You didn't have drivers that were plug and play for these devices. And that meant you had to install the software from the company so that you got the drivers so that uh, these plug in via USB. So for your computer to recognize that you had to have the drivers. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case. I've tested it recently. I've, I've done probably 50 different screen calibrations over the last week preparing for this episode. And it took longer than I anticipated, which is why it's been delayed a few days. So uh, I've, I've validated that, you, at least with X-Rite, you don't need to install the software that comes with them. And in the past, that became a problem. So you had this like balance you had to make. You had to install the X-Rite software, but then the X-Rite software conflicted with DisplayCal, and it was kind of a mess to figure out how to get it all to work. None of that seems to be there today here in 2020 with DisplayCal. You don't just don't install the X-Rite software, and it'll work. Or even if it is installed, I have a Windows computer that where it was, it's been installed. And, um, and it was working fine. Another part of this is the data color colorimeters, the spiders, don't seem to work until you do an extra step. And that's after you install, you need to go to tools, instrument, and then install Argyle ICMS instrument drivers before it will see a data color device. The X-Rite seems to work without that. The data color uh, I've seen in the forums that that's a problem and you, you have to go and do this extra step. And I'll, I'll say that again late, uh, a bit further in the episode where we talk about that. The other note is, um, like I said, incompat potential incompatibility. If you did install or you had have, have had the X-Rite software installed, you may have a dated version. So you could go try to update it. Or if like you go to use DisplayCal and it can't connect to the device, one of the troubleshooting steps you might do is to uninstall the software from either X-Rite or DataColor. Just get rid of it on your computer because you don't need it today. And um, if you are having trouble getting your the colorimeter to be seen in DisplayCal, then try that as a troubleshooting step. 
Okay, step four then for photography screen calibration using DisplayCal. Now you're gonna actually launch it. We just installed DisplayCal. Now we're gonna actually launch the software. And again, there's a couple of notes here that, that I wanted to make sure is there just so you knew what to expect when you see it because if you go to install, you're like, oh, I don't know what this is. So <laughs> when you launch the software the first time, so you've already installed it, now you're launching it, you're gonna get a dialog box that comes up on both Mac and Windows that says, the Argyle ICMS color engine needs to be installed. And do you wanna automatically download it or browse for it manually? I recommend you just have the tool automatically download it. So what this is, is DisplayCal is kind of the, the front end application, the, the screens, it's creating the screens that you're gonna to use to configure the tool. But the actual tool behind the scenes that is doing like the talking to the colorimeter and asking it to take measurements of the screen and getting the data back from the measurements and, and understanding then what to do next and how to test it and, and it creating the profile, that's all done by Argyle ICMS, the open source color engine. And so you have to have that with DisplayCal. I think with the way open source works, they have to add, like they, they're not bundling it and they have to ask permission to, to do this. So anyway, you want to hit download. And then the, I think there's like two screens on both operating systems too. So not only do you hit download once and say, yep, go do it. Then it brings up a second screen, which I think is the installation screen of Argyle ICMS, where you're going to hit download a second time on both of them, or there's an update now button on Mac, I think. Anyway, you want to make sure you do whatever you have to do to download Argyle ICMS. That's totally needed for this. Um, on Mac OS, if you're using Catalina, which we talked about at the very top of the show, how challenging this has been for software vendors, you have to give it permissions yeah, for screen screen recording and for full disk access in order for this to work. And it doesn't do it very gracefully. So it does try. It is kind of, it is Catalina uh, supported. It's supported on Catalina. But my experience was uh, it didn't do a good job of being able to quit and after you had the permissions and restart. So what happened was it would even tell you like, hey, you got to go do some security and privacy settings to make this work. And it added DisplayCal to both of the, the areas. So this is under security and privacy. There's a privacy tab. Then there's a screen recording function. And DisplayCal got added there. Uh, it also added it to under same thing, security and privacy. And then the privacy tab, full disk access, DisplayCal was added. But neither was checked because it takes administrator privileges to be able to go do that. You have to hit like the little unlock icon in the lower left and then go check the boxes. As you check the box under screen recording, uh, Mac OS Catalina says, hey, you ha this won't be applied until you relaunch the application. Do you want to do that? So I said yes, and the application wouldn't close. I don't know if I did something wrong as I did this, but I did a few times uh, on a couple of different Macs that I have, and it was the same experience. I had to force quit the app and then make sure I go in and set the settings right, check the checkboxes in the security and privacy windows so to give it permission, and then relaunch the application and everything was good. So that may be your experience too. Just know you might have to force quit the app. Um, hopefully that's something that can be worked. I don't know if it's a, a known bug or not, but that was my experience. Maybe yours will be smoother. We'll see. Uh, okay, so that's launching the application. Now let's get to actually like using it. So step number five to photography screen calibration using DisplayCal is configure the display and instrument screen. So <laughs> like most open source software, 
um, this this is built by people who know what they're doing. Some brilliant people who know this space of screen calibration inside and out and color management. They're experts in this area. As a result, open source tools, they tend, like this is way open source tools tend to be. They're built by brilliant people who really know what they're talking about. That tends to make them a little bit less user-friendly. It tends to use terms that you may not know. And this app is filled with stuff that, I don't fully understand what it means because I'm just not an expert in this area. So when you first launch it, you're probably going to see, at least it's a pretty screen. I'll give it that. A lot of open source packages, the screen itself looks awful too, or it's just text-based and and editing files to get things to work. Uh, At least there's a nice, pretty consistent UI. It looks very similar between Mac and Windows. It, it looks nice, but there's just a lot to it. There's a lot of drop downs. There's a lot of checkboxes. There's a lot of terms that you're not going to know. And we're going to walk through each one of them. The, it, the display has a, a black bar near the top of it where there are actually five different like configuration areas. And it's not immediately obvious to me anyway, when you look at it, that there's five different configuration screens to go through. The first one, the default one, when you launch the app is, is labeled display and instrument. And now that I pointed it out, it'll be totally obvious to you, but it wasn't to me, at least initially, I, it's not a wizard kind of thing. You, you are presented with this screen where there's a bunch of configuration options that not obvious you have to go to and a button at the bottom that says calibrate and profile. It's like, it's just ready to go. Like you, you launch the app and you hit that button and we're good. You're not, <laughs> you've got a whole bunch of configuration that you need to set or your screen calibration is not going to end up good. So let's, let's walk through the first screen here. Um, the very first thing in this screen is something called display. It's a drop down, And the good news is you don't have anything to do here. Um, I have never seen it not work. <laughs> it's always worked to populate that drop down with the screens attached to your computer. Uh, if you have a, uh, if you're on a laptop, it'll have the native screen. If you are connecting a laptop to an external screen, it'll have both your native screen and that screen. It'll, it'll be there. It even has seen in my house, some network connected displays. Like, uh, it picked up the Google, Google Chromecast, for example. And I don't know what you can do with that. I'm not even worried about it, but, um, it's very good at being able to pick that up. So nothing to do there other than you got to pick the right display of what you want to calibrate right now. So you know, pick the right one and you got to make sure your targets end up on that screen. We'll go through that in a second. All right. Number two that right next to it, right to the right of it is instrument. And this is where your colorimeter should show up. And so, um, again, should just work with the X-Rite stuff. You should just see the instrument. I totally, I saw that on both Mac and PC as I tested it out. It just worked without any additional things for the data color. I'm going to mention it again here. Now, if you don't see it show up, then you need to go to tools, instrument, install Argyle, ICMS, instrument drivers. And, um, and that will make it, should make it so it populates. After you do that, you may have to hit the refresh button that's just to the left of the instrument dropdown and you should see it. If that doesn't work, then maybe you need to try like uninstalling your, that software and reboot or ultimately I probably won't be able to help you <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't work. So go over to the Display Cal forums. I'll have a link in the show notes so you can do that. And you can post a question about like, hey, I don't know what's going on here. And you might get someone who's a tad snarky replying, like they're experts. They deal with people asking newbie questions 
all the time and I think they get a little tired of like answering the same question. So you might search the forums first to see if there's any help specific to what you're looking at. And then if you can't find anything, ask a question and just don't be offended if they're like, oh, another person asking a stupid question <laughs> and uh, but they'll help you. All right. Display instrument uh, mode is the next one. And you have two choices here on mode. There's LCD generic and there's refresh. And these days, almost all of us are using LCD screens. That's what you're going to want to choose as LCD generic refresh is for those really old CRT screens uh, that none of us, I think, have anymore or for OLED or plasma, sorry, for plasma. So if you know you have a plasma screen, then you're going to want to choose refresh there. But everyone else and most everyone listening, I, I guess 99% of you, you're going to want LCD generic. Uh, okay, now below those, there's two checkboxes. There's one that says white level drift compensation and one that says black level drift compensation. You might think, well, that's cool. You just told me that a monitor has drift over time and that's what forces a recalibration and this sounds like it could compensate for that. Uh, I don't think that's what it does. <laughs> and um, it seems like from the notes in the software itself, it has right there on that first screen, you check the white left white level drift compensation if you're using an OLED or plasma panel. Um, and then you only check the black level drift if you have a spectrometer that you're going to be using to do your testing. None of us will. We have a colorimeter. Those are very different tools. And spectrometers are more money and harder to use. So you, I'm going to recommend you leave both of those checkboxes unchecked. You're never going to want to check them for the basic kind of stuff that we're doing with screen calibration. Now there's the correction dropdown. And this is like across every setting in the whole application, this is the most critical one. You can kind of screw up some of the others and end up with some pretty decent screen calibrations. But if you don't get this one right, it's not going to work well. And it's kind of complicated. So I'm going to talk more about it in just a second. We're going to go through how do you pick what is in that dropdown. Um, so I'm going to skip detailing what to do here just so that we can go through a couple of the other notes on this screen that are important to point out. Um, at the bottom of the screen, there's there's a bunch of text written there, and most people probably wouldn't even read it. They're just ignoring it because it's not an actual dropdown or configuration option. But there's some important there's two important things that it points out. The first is in order to get a successful screen calibration, you need to have your monitor powered on for at least 30 minutes. That means like not going to screensaver and definitely not going into sleep mode. It needs to be on for 30 minutes and warm up fully. The screen doesn't have its full capabilities or capacity until 30 minutes is up. And if you do it before that, then it, you're going to run the risk that your profile is going to be not exactly where it needs to be. And that goes the same for like, as you're going to go to edit, you really need to have the screen on for 30 minutes. Um, as you're going to recalibrate, if you're going to test about recalibration, it has to be 30 minutes. It's it's a very strong recommendation. I've tried to test this out a little bit. I've, I said I've done like 50 calibrations this week. And this requirement that I really need to make sure the, the screen is on for 30 minutes was killing me with how many times I was doing this. But And so I did some calibrations before the 30 minutes. And then when I was done and, and it had been on for more than 30 minutes... I'd go and do like this check that I'll tell you about the very end to see if I need to recalibrate and it wouldn't be good. So it's real. You got you to wait 30 minutes. Not only does it supposed to be on for 30 minutes, but this also says you really need to have that colorimeter making contact with your screen for those 30 minutes while it's warming up. So there's the advice from experts who know way more about this than me. And it's a good note to have. The second note that's on that screen is um, they're telling you that you need to do everything you can to disable dynamic 
settings related to your screen. So something like dynamic contrast or automatic brightness, and I'm going to walk through some stuff you need to do, especially on some Macs to, to disable that. Uh, anything where it might be trying to do something automatically. And I'll go through some of them that I'm aware of, but you've got to just think through it. And you might need to dig through your screen menus too to make sure there's not some like advanced feature that's built into the screen that's trying to do something automatically for you as well. Looking through your user's manual to find something like that is a good thing. Now, is it guaranteed to like screw everything up? No. If you happen to have something turned on that's doing something dynamic here, at least over the course of the 30 minutes that the screen's on and you're doing the calibration and the 30 minutes it takes to run the calibration, you're not likely to have that impact things too much. But it's better to turn all of it off if you can. And it's enough that they, they decided they had to put it in the notes here. So, so do that. Okay, correction dropdown on this first screen. Critical, critical thing. Uh, I know this is emphasized so, so much. And people who get into this don't even take any of the defaults that are available inside of the DisplayCal software. They build their own correction profile and get to get better results. Now, I think that's a little overboard for most of us <laughs> for a couple of reasons. The knowledge of how to do it, plus the tools, you have to have a spectrometer, and the uh, time it takes, the level of screen, I, I think that takes your need of a display to a whole new level. Uh, all of that is, is really important for some professions. And people do this professionally for a reason. They, they know how to do this. For us as photographers who are probably not at that level or needing that level of precision in our screen calibration. I, I don't think we need to do that. What we do have to do is figure out which of these choices we're going to have. And before I go there, I need to mention my experience in the past, and I had a hard time trying to really validate for current state, for the, the current version. I wasn't exactly sure if this was there. But my challenge I had when I first ran DisplayCal years ago was I got, my first run through it was horrible. I ended up with a screen calibration that was awful. And I was like, wow, this is nothing, this is not good compared to the X-Rite software I was using at all. And I found like the secret handshake <laughs> at the time, years ago, it was, it felt like a secret handshake of something you had to do to make this work with the colorimeter that I was using. And that's that I had to go to tools, correction, and then import colorimeter corrections from other display profiling software. I had to go do that. And um, at the time, that, that was the magic thing. Like I said, the secret handshake. I had to go do that. I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't said in the notes. It didn't, nothing said, hey, you got a display right or a, a, an x right colorimeter attached. Do you want to go and import? The, that would have been helpful, but it didn't. And until I did that, it didn't work. I don't think today in version 3.8.9.3, the most current version here in June 2020, it's as big a deal. I don't know that you have to do that. In fact, on my Mac, on one of my Macs where I'd never installed the software, I'd never profiled it. That was my key test. I didn't do it and I ended up with good profiles so, or good screen calibration. So I don't think you have to do that. But if you are not happy with the screen calibration that you're getting out of this with either the X-Rite or the data color colorimeters, this is a thing you can try and so you can remember this and go back and go to tools, correction, import colorimeter corrections from other display profiling software and rerun your calibration and see if it's any different. Um, I didn't do it on the Mac and it worked, so I don't think it's required today. Now, so choosing the profiles, that's a step 
you may I, I wouldn't do it initially that step of what I just talked about but this is really important you've got to figure out which correction profile you're going to use and the software comes with a few of them that are kind of generic enough to cover a wide spectrum of panel technologies so every screen has a certain panel technology. I talked about at the top of the show with uh, IPS versus UA versus TN. Those are some common panel technologies that are in place today. And these profiles are built so that they will do a good job of being able to help understand the measurements the colorimeter is getting and based on what kind of panel it has. It, it can't derive the, the style of panel that is being used and it needs that information in order to really fully interpret the numbers and the data it's going to get from this colorimeter correctly. So you have to provide a little guidance and a baseline of where it's going to be. Um, and so the, the challenge is then which one? These things mean nothing to me. I don't know. I mean, I see some color spaces mentioned and some panel technologies mentioned. But it, it's not immediately obvious to me just based on it. So for example, one of the descriptions is... LCD PFS phosphor WLED IPS 99% P3. That's the one. And then in parentheses, it says MacBook Pro Retina 2016, which is actually the profile you should use if you have a MacBook Pro that is late 2016 or, or newer. That's the profile to use. It's it, the screen technology, the, the actual hardware screen uh, stuff that's done there. That's the profile that's going to work with, in connection with your colorimeter to build a correct profile for your screen. And it's, I mean, you kind of get a little help with the parentheses on there, but just from the description, you don't really know. But there's more help in the software itself. It's kind of hidden. Again, here's the secret handshake, but at the very bottom of that first screen, it has a button that is not highlighted until you go float over it. But it says, when you, when you get down there, it says, show information about common display technologies. And if you click that, a second screen comes up, a screen comes up in DisplayCal that gives you just a little bit more context for each of the profiles that are there. A little bit more guidance, including like examples of brands of monitors that you could, you, that should use that profile. It's not going to be exact, like it doesn't have my exact monitor listed there. Um, but if you know this panel technology that's used in your screen, there's enough guidance to figure out which of these correction profiles you need to use. Uh, if you don't know which one you need to use, then you need to go to a website, which is also on that second screen, actually. At the bottom, it says find your monitor slash TV and corresponding technologies at displayspecifications.com. Uh, that's the website, displayspecifications.com, where they have cataloged a ton of monitors and detail for you kind of the technology that is in the monitor, what the panels are, what the color spaces are. That should give you enough clues that you can go back to this screen in DisplayCal and figure out which of the profiles you need. For almost all of you listening, you're going to have a monitor that's probably some high percentage of sRGB color space supports. 100% sRGB, like for example, in the BenQ monitor I just got, or uh, very close to that, 98, 99% sRGB in the ViewSonic I have. Um, AC, LG, Samsung, there's a whole bunch of them where this is the case. Or iMac and MacBook computers 2019 through 2015 um, all need to use the same profile. And that is Spectral LCD White LED Family. So almost all of you listening, if you have one of these displays that I've recommended, kind of on the less expensive side, somewhere between like $250 to $600, 
that's the profile you're going to pick. If you have a Mac, uh, like an iMac 4K, 5K or later, um, then you're going to want a, the LCD PFS Phosphor WLED family. And if you have MacBook Pro 2016 or later, it's that profile I already mentioned, the LCD PFS Phosphor WLED IPS 99% P3. So it, it's tough. It's a hard thing. I can't pick it for all of you because I don't know what screen you have. And, uh, but hopefully I've given you the right guidance so you can figure out which of the profiles because it's vital to making this work, at least as I've seen it. All right, step number six now. Now that we finally got through that first screen, I'm going to try to go through these others a little faster. Uh, configuring the calibration screen. So right next to it in the black bar on the screen, left or to the right of display and instrument is calibration. And you need to do this before you do your calibrate and profile button. Uh, there's the first three you need to do. So the first checkbox there, or the first configuration item that's there is interactive display adjustment. So when this is checked, that's going to be the first step to actually running your, your calibration. And that's to kind of profile your display. You're going to set the settings that you have here on the screen. It's going to give you, it's going to start uh, doing some measurements and it's going to give you some visual feedback on where your white point white levels are when you have that checkbox checked. You definitely, you have to do it the first time through the software because you it, it forces you to. Um, other times through the software, you can choose to skip that, assuming that that part of the display isn't changing very much. And you can even just pick update calibration and it will just, it'll skip a bunch of pre stuff and go right to just recalibrating the profile and save you some time. I personally like to check it every time. I haven't seen it change tremendously, but even over the course of this last week, it changed a little bit where like the brightness I had to go increase it by one or, or green color hue I had to in decrease by one. Anyway, there's, and we'll get through that in just a second, but I recommend checking that interactive display adjustment window and, and you'll see what that's for as you get further into the process. Um, then you have white point, white level, tone curve and calibration speed. White point is your color temperatures. And by default, I think it says as measure or something like that, but you want to change it to color temperature. And I recommend you set it at 6,500. Um, that's a, a, it's the value I've seen recommended over and over and over in the forums at other websites, 6,500. If you are trying to soft proof to print and you want to have it be a little closer white point uh, color temperature for matching paper that you're going to print to, then 5,000 Kelvins is probably a uh, something you should try. But this is a place where you're going to have some personal preference that you're going to have to define. Or depending on your goals with this screen calibration, what you're going to do with this. Uh, at 6,500, it may feel a little blue. The whites is what you look at. The whites on your screen may feel a little bit blue. And if that's the case, then you could go like 6,000 or uh, 5,800, something like that. The lower as you go towards 5,000, the more yellow it's going to start looking. And you may need to just kind of play with this. And uh, it's easy to play with it like without going through a, a full screen calibration because you can set the setting here. You have the checkbox for interactive display adjustment clicked and then you click calibrate and profile and it will do some very quick measurements to be able to show you what it's going to look like with the color temperature set the way it's going to be. This will make sense as we get through it more. Um, the same kind of thing with white level. Uh, you're going to set it to custom and you're going to do 120 
for uh, Ken Dell's per meter squared. And that's a recommend. I wouldn't go above 120. I've seen a range recommended. So the range on white point was like 5,000 to 6,500. The range on white level is I've seen recommended is 90 to 120. Again, based on like personal preference and what it is you are trying to get the screen to be calibrated to. If you're calibrating to print, it might need to be something more like at the 90 end of the scale. If you're trying to make it so that your screen, uh, your calibration is, is built for like images looking really good on the web. You might want up to 120. I've seen most people say by default, the default values for both should be 6,500 and 120. That's what I'm doing with. Um, gamma, don't touch it. Gamma 2.2, leave it at default. Um, that's all what I've seen recommended. I don't know exactly what that means, but that, that's what I've seen it said. Calibration speed, I've seen a little bit of differing of ice here. Um, you can go from uh, extra high, high, medium, low, there's, there's different speed levels. The slower the speed means the more measurements it's going to take. It's going to do a lot more measurements of the software or of, of the display and, and the, uh, with the colorimeter. And it should lead to more accuracy if you have the calibration speed be slower. The thing I've seen though in the forums has been that there's a diminishing return here. The colorimeters that we're using are not lab grade, um, if you get the ones that I've recommended, they're definitely sufficient to create a really good screen calibration, but there's a diminishing return on how long you're, how many measurements you're going to take. The devices are simply not so accurate that you end up getting more precise and more precise, uh, calibrations out of gooing it slower. So the advice I'd seen was given the quality level or the precision level of the colorimeters that we're using here, the sweet spot is at high. That's going to be as uh, produce a high quality screen calibration that is kind of to the limits of the precision of our colorimeters. And if you go slower than that, it's not really going to be something that's likely to, to be meaningful as a more uh, precise prof, uh, calibration. So I leave it at high. I've seen some people say go to medium but I, I'm going to do it at high time is money and I'm going to save some time here. This doesn't cost me anything financially. So I'm going to do it um, according to the, what I've heard there and do it high. All right, let's move on to the next screen. And that is, oh, before I do that, um, the, there is support in, the, in DisplayCal to have ambient light be a part of the measurements here. And in fact, there's little targets to the right of both white point and white level where you can take ambient light measurements. Uh, I know the X-Rite uh, colorimeter supports that. I don't know if uh, Spider does, but it, it allows you to like take the temperature of the room, the white point. What is your room temperature like? And the same with the white levels. How bright is the room? And that can be considered as part of the profiles. What I've seen recommended was that tends to do more harm than good unless you really know what you're doing. Uh, getting that information may help you to make a better choice if you know what you're doing. But absent that, setting these values to these and this just kind of playing test and check on these. If you're not happy with where things end up as far as your white balance and your brightness, then playing with these values until you get there is what I do. But it is possible to use the colorimeter to measure the ambient light. So I wanted to mention it um, just to be thorough and complete here. I I've tried it. I've used the ambient light measurements to do it. I did not like the results that I ended up with compared to setting it myself. So uh, you can try it. it 
just takes time <laughs> and give it a go and see if you like it. Okay, next screen is the profiling screen. And we have several configuration things here and a bunch of notes at the bottom that um, mostly don't matter for this particular thing, I don't think. But we have profile quality. And again, this is another thing where you're gonna have this balance between um, how long it's gonna take and the measurement of the device. And in this case, the things that I've read said, yes, high is what you want here. We, these colorimeters are precise enough that you definitely want a high uh, profile quality level. So I don't recommend changing it from that. Test chart, I recommend setting this to auto optimized. And you kind of have to check this every time you go through the software because uh, Display Cal changes this. And I'm not exactly sure the reasons for it. And it seems to change it, the test chart to like something to do with your current profile at some point. Um, but it's, it's something that is uh, probably needs to be set every time to auto optimize is how I'm using it. It's how I've seen it recommended. And it's something like, especially if you're gonna do like two screens on this from the same computer, the second time you run through the software because it changed to something to do with the current profile, um, you don't wanna use the profile of a screen as the basis for doing the profile, the calibration of a second screen. So I, you, you go to test chart and do auto optimize there. Then there is, um, no, amount of patches is an option. Only if you pick the test chart of auto-optimized, well, I know you get it there and you don't have it in some other options. I'll say it that way. Uh, amount of patches is something there. And this is, again, how many measurements is this going to use throughout this calibration process? There's lots of tunes, lots of knobs to tune here for that. And what I've seen recommended was 175 is, again, that sweet spot between like the precision of the calibration, the colorimeter, and the profile results. Anything more than that, and it's kind of a waste of time, uh, and in, in less than that, you don't get as price, precise results as you might want. So I recommend 175. Okay, profile name is also there, something you can customize. I don't see a lot of need to do that. I Most of the information about like the settings you're using for your profiles is already there in the default, but they give you, it's kind of nice, they give you the option. If you want to add something custom there, you can, but you don't need to. Okay, we're almost there. Step number nine. Now we're gonna actually finally get to the point of running a calibration. We have the software set up. It's ready to go. You've got some um, advice on how to configure this. Um, again, I'm gonna remind you, before you hit that button to calibrate, you need to let the screen be on for 30 minutes and you're supposed to have that colorimeter contacting the screen for 30 minutes. And let's talk about how do you do, how do you put it on the screen? So the, at least with the X-Rite, I don't have experience with the spider to kind of describe it for you. I assume it's similar. There's a, a little weight, reminds me of like a, a fishing weight <laughs> that you use while you're fishing. And it, it slides up and down. If you press on the weight, uh, it slides up and down the wire, that the USB wire that's connected. And on a larger screen, you're going to need to have the distance between the colorimeter and that weight be a, a little longer. And if it's a laptop screen, you're going to need to reduce probably the distance between that weight and the screen. The idea is that's a counterweight that's supposed to be like behind the screen. And then the wire comes up over the top of the screen and allows the colorimeter to stay in place right there in the very center of the screen. So you, you, that's, that's how you're gonna put this on there. You connect the USB first, get the counterweight kind of positioned well so that it will hold the colorimeter right perfectly in the middle of the screen with the lens of the colorimeter completely flat against the screen. 
And I think if you have one of the devices, you'll see it. I think the spider's a little easier here because of the shape that they have. It's not like this uh, rectangular shape. It's more of a, looks like a spider kind of. And I think that's a little easier to position on the screen. So that's, that's points for the, the spider <laughs> profile thing. Okay, so with it on there and you waited 30 minutes, um, or in order to wait 30 minutes, you really need to make sure that you also have your OS set up to not go to sleep within that 30 minutes. You need that. This is like a really critical thing to making sure that it's going to work. So in windows, you want to go to settings, power and sleep. And there's something there saying, uh, and you, you want to plug this into, if you're using a laptop, you're going to want to make sure it's plugged in. Cause this takes some time. It's going to use your screen at brightness levels. You, you don't want to risk this doing this on battery. So plug it in and then on Windows, you're going to go and it's good on, on that uh, configuration screen. It's going to say when plugged in, turn off after and it has a drop down. I changed it to 45 minutes because that's at least, you know, the 30. And then I figured out I'll be moving the mouse within that 45 minutes so that it won't go to sleep anyway. But it's uh, you, you may want to choose an hour to two hours just to make sure like through the whole process, it doesn't do it. Um, and then, um, you, you might want to even look at like the sleep option just underneath it when plugged in, go to sleep after. And I, it's two hours is what I have it set to, uh, on Mac, similar kind of thing. You're going to want to go to settings, energy saver, power adapter. Again, we're plugging in to do this if you're on a, on a laptop and then change the turn display off after to something bigger than 30 minutes. And, um, and then while you're there, you also probably want to go to, um, settings display and turn off automatically adjust brightness if that's something there if you are using a windows machine that's a laptop i didn't have a screenshot for that because i don't have a windows laptop but uh they usually have auto auto brightness settings make sure that's turned off too uh, again this is probably something that is not going to totally kill your calibration but it's it's a good thing to do finally on mac i also recommend turning off night shift while you're doing the calibration and these settings are actually probably good for you to also do if you're editing um, and you might, if you can, you can, some of the OSs, I, I haven't done a lot of this, but you can create profiles usually of power settings. You might want to create like an edit profile uh, power setting so that you can switch in between them. At least I know windows supports that. I've never tried on Mac and, uh, and anyway, uh, settings display night shift schedule to off and just turn it off. Or you can do the, there's a manual that says turn off until tomorrow. And that would at least make it so that while you're doing the screen calibration, you don't have it on. And that might be a good thing for, for editing too. You can just click that button, you know, for the next 24 hours, it's not going to do the night shift. And if you like it for later, like just normal browsing and stuff, then it'll turn back on and enable it. Um, but it is another thing to remember when you're editing. All right. So think through the settings there. Another one you might not have thought of that you probably need to check is if at least on Windows and maybe on Mac too, there might be uh, like an NVIDIA settings, or if you have a, a, a discrete graphics card in your computer, then usually those graphics cards allow some, have some sort of utility where you can go and change brightness, contrast, gamma, and colors. Uh, NVIDIA, I have an example in the show notes of the NVIDIA control panel for my Windows desktop. And yep, it has the ability to use like software settings to, to change this. And we do not want that to be done. So I, I recommend turning that off. Make sure that it is set to other applications. Control color settings is, is what it's going to say. All right. Now, finally, we have the colorimeter placed. We've waited our 30 minutes. We've tried to turn off everything we can think of that might impact the screen and the, the brightness and the color levels and contrast and so on. Um, 
now it is time to finally move on to the next phase. We're ready to hit that button that says calibrate and profile. So that's number 10 is to start doing that. You hit that button and on Mac, you are likely to see, if you followed my setup settings here, you're likely to see it say something like applications using Apple CMM like Mac OS Preview and Quick Look do not support display profile types other than single curve plus matrix with black point compensation and blah, blah, blah. Do you want to turn it on? Do you want to set the profile type to single curve plus matrix and enable black point compensation? So what this is saying, if I'm interpreting it right, is some of the default applications that come with Mac OS like Preview, for example, it will only work or use color profiles where they are built a specific way, and that's single curve plus matrix with black boy compensation. There's a lot of gobbledygook words there that don't need you don't need to understand. But if you say no to this dialogue, it's going to utilize a better method for building a more precise, like there's there's newer uh, types of profile, screen calibration profiles that you can create. And it's going to use a better one that is going to be used properly by the Adobe, Adobe Creative Suite like Photoshop and Lightroom or uh, GIMP or other lots of programs that, do, that photographers are going to use. It's going to work properly. If you hit no, it's going to work properly. But it won't work in preview. So you, what this means is if you hit no, things are going to be great in Lightroom and Photoshop. If you hit but preview, the colors are going to look different. And if you hit yes, then it's going to use a slightly inferior dated kind of method for doing the profile and, and creating the screen calibration, but everything's going to look the same in the, in the OS, which is kind of a nice thing to have. That's my preference. I really want to have, like, I'm willing to give up a little tiny bit of like modern screen accuracy in order to, to have everything look the same. That's my objective. I want everything to look the same. And so... Uh, so I say yes, but you're going to have to make your decision on how you want this to be as you're doing it. Okay, now, once you've made that decision and Windows, you don't have the choice, unfortunately. Windows is just horrible with this and the, some of the, the default applications in Windows won't even use a color profile. So that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> we don't have a dialog box on Windows. Okay, once you say yes or no on that for Mac, but Windows users go straight to this screen. After you hit that calibrate and profile button, a little gray window is going to appear in the middle of the screen. This And it says measurement area on it. And it's going to have a blue start measurement button at the bottom. This is your measurement target that DisplayCal has put on the screen. This is where your colorimeter is supposed to be making contact with the screen. And so you, you want, it's going to by default come up on your primary screen right in the very center of the screen. And you want to make sure that the colorimeter is there. If you are not trying, if you've already profiled that screen or you're not trying to make a calibration for that primary screen and it's like a secondary screen, you need to move the target over to that secondary screen yourself and put the colorimeter over the top of it. So just a, a note on like multiple screen displays and how that's going to work. When you have the colorimeter in place, which it kind of already should have been, but make sure it's right in the right spot, then you hit that blue start measurement button and another window may pop up. This is if you back on back on the um, the first screen or the second the calibration screen, remember there's that checkbox that says um, interactive display adjustment. And I said 
there's going to be this point in the process where a screen's going to pop up that's going to help you to get the right settings on your display, on your screen for the white points and the white level. That's where this is going to happen now. So you've started measurement and already DisplayCal is going to take like every half second or so, it's going to take a measurement from the colorimeter. And this interactive display adjustment window is going to show you what your white point and white level is currently being measured at from the colorimeter on on that target. I recommend that you kind of, for this process, if you are using an external monitor, a a display that has hardware buttons to change like brightness and contrast and and all of that, then you're going to want to position this interactive display adjustment window in like the opposite corner of where your uh, your screen's on-screen display shows up. Most of them, I think, today sh- that those on-screen displays show up in the lower right, and your buttons are in the lower right. And so, uh, for most everyone, and I, I have a picture I'll put in the show notes too of how to set this up. But in the, you want to put this interactive display adjustment window in the upper left, so that the on-screen things can be in the lower right, and then you have a nu- your your target is in the very center of the screen. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but the reason that you want to do it in the center of the screen is because our displays, just like in like camera lenses where it's like best in the center and as you get out to the edges, it's uh, it's not quite as sharp or consistent. It's the same with most of our screens. When you get up to higher quality screens, like hundreds and hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars, they are more consistent from center to edge. But with the less expensive screens we have, they are not. And that's why you want to profile from the middle so that you don't, you, you're not taking your measurements from a less precise area of the screen from a, the hardware perspective. Okay, so if you are using a screen that doesn't have any hardware controls for changing color temperature, like a MacBook Pro or a Windows laptop or an iMac uh, or an all-in-one PC usually doesn't have these. They're, they only let you change brightness and that's about it. There's not any other adjustments you can make to the screen. You ignore the top half of that interactive display adjustment window. It's going to show, it's still going to be there. It's going to show red, green, blue. It's going to show some values and there's nothing you can do from a hardware level with the screen to change that. So you ignore those and you only worry about the bottom part, which is the brightness level, and you're gonna to wanna to tune it. As you change the brightness level, so you, if you're on a Mac, for example, uh, I hit F2 on my keyboard because that's the to lower the brightness. It came out way too bright to start with, and I'm sure that's gonna be the case for all of you as you're doing this, it's gonna be way too bright. Then you lower the, the brightness and you keep lowering it until, and it's gonna like, you know, every half second or so, it's taking a measurement from that target using the colorimeter, it's, and it's reflecting the values of the brightness levels, the candelas that it's measuring right there in real time. Well, near real time, every half second or so, it's updating. So you, you lower the brightness, wait half second, watch the, the levels change. And then you just keep doing that until it gets right in there to where it's right. And you know it's right because the text underneath it, underneath the the thing that you're watching, the little slider bar that you're watching, turns green. It starts out white when it's not where you want it to be, and it turns green when it's when it's there. So you're on on screens again where you can't control the uh, RGB values uh, the the color temperature of your screen through the hardware buttons. You ignore that top half, you just do the brightness and get it to be green label underneath it and move on. If you do have the hardware buttons <laughs> to be able to do this, this is where it's it's really 
it's kind of a challenging part of this process because every screen I've ever used, the hardware buttons and the menu system is awful. It's really, really terrible to be able to work through this. So, so you're going to have to, in order to get the best kind of results possible and make these screens match, you, you kind of need to baseline them. And you do that through this process with the on-screen display, the hardware buttons, and the levels. Now, one thing I'm going to caution you on at the very beginning here is you may need to reset your screen. Um, if you've ever played around with it at all, then you may have changed things in a way that you don't want to, particularly with the control that is labeled contrast. Somewhere in that on-screen display and through those menus, you have the ability to change contrast. Brightness, no problem. That's something we're going to fix anyway. We're going to set it to right level. But contrast, we want it to be the manufacturer default on contrast. You do not want to change. I've seen this stated very forcefully and over and over in the Display Cal forums. Contrast is not something you want to change in the screen. You're going to let the screen calibration set contrast, but you run the risk. If you change the contrast yourself, you run the risk of changing it in a way where at a hardware level, it's going to be clipping whites and or like it could be both blacks. And we don't want that. We want to be able to let the screen calibration get the most contrast it can out of the display. And you don't want to touch the contrast in the hardware menus. So don't do it. Stay away from it. If you're not sure if you've done it or not, just reset it. Somewhere in that on-screen display, there's a reset factory defaults. Um, and you're going to want to go click on that. I had to do that as I read that as I was going through these profiles and researching again, like fresh for this, this episode, I realized like, Oh, I think I may have touched contrast. So I went and reset the screen so that I could make sure I didn't do that. So, so that's a good, good thing to check. The other thing while you're in there to check, uh, and it's okay to do this while the screens being, you know, the, the colorimeters taking measurements and the targets up there and the interactive display adjustments window is up. It's okay to, to go and, and work through this while that's happening. Um, you, you also want to try to find if there's any kinds of features in the monitor that are going to do things like some may have some sort of auto brightness feature in the monitor or HDR, you probably want to turn that off for the, at least the purposes of calibrating uh, or other things. If there's some kind of technology, you might have to look through the user's manual again to try to see if there's anything where it's going to try to auto do something for you. And it's something that could change uh, as you're using the screen. You want to disable that. We want a consistent, consistent screen to be happening here. And uh, so try to find if there's anything like that being taken. All right. So now that you have that, um, here's the process that I've kind of gone through. And I've gone through this now with um, two different new displays that I'd never profiled before about a week ago. And uh, one of them is a BenQ display a screen, and I, I'm loving it. It's really good. And another one is ViewSonic. The BenQ is 2K, 1440p. The ViewSonic is 4K. And, um, but they're, and they're different manufacturers. And in part, I wanted to do this because... The, the most challenging experiment I can think of for accomplishing a good result in this is if I can get two displays from different manufacturers driven by two different computers, one Mac, one PC, that's got to be like the most complicated screen match you can do, right? <laughs> it's going to be really tough. I mean, I guess you could do like screen to projector and that, that would be hard or screen to uh, iPad and, and that might be a challenge. 
but as far as like two screens, getting them to match and, and being able to evaluate how good of a screen calibration I've got, that seems like a really good test for it. And so I'm, I'm using both of these and I'm, I'm setting them up. On the BenQ, in order to adjust now, there's two areas of adjustments you're looking for in the on-screen menus and that you're gonna use the information from that interactive display adjustment to, uh, to influence. So the first one is brightness. It's easiest to do. It's also like right off the bat, it's going to be way too bright. I can almost guarantee every monitor is way too bright. They want to sell these things and they show better on the showroom floor or wherever you're looking at monitors when the brightness is just cranked up and it's always too bright. So you're going to need to reduce the brightness. So my first step is I take the brightness down to the level I set it to. Um, in my example, I have one where an example is 90. Um, just it was me testing it out, but it happens to be where I took the screenshot. Again, I'm recommending 120 for most, uh, maybe 100 if that feels like a little too bright to you. Um, but you're going to want to get it down to uh, 120 candelas or less. And it's going to start off, I think mine started at 370 on the BenQ. It's just way too bright. So I take the brightness down. There's not a lot of value in trying to work on the RGB values until the brightness is kind of close or right there. So I take it until I get it to green. Once I have the brightness in the middle, and it has these nice little arrows of where it should be in a green, again, the text turns green when you get it to where it needs to be. Then I look at which of the RGB values is the biggest. And in my screenshot example, I'm looking at blue was the biggest one. It was definitely up the highest. So then I find where it is in the menus. And this is a challenge to figure out where it is in the menus to change the, the color temperature. If, and, and you may discover like, uh, I can't, I see where it is in the menu, but it's disabled. You're going to have to figure out what display mode to put the monitor in. And again, this is tough because every manufacturer in even from model to model, they change stuff on these on-screen dis on-screen menus. So um, on the BenQ, they called it picture mode. And I had choices of standard, rec.709, sRGB, CAD slash cam, animation, low blue light, darkroom, eco, and user. Those tons of modes. And Almost all of those modes didn't allow me to set custom or user-defined color temperatures, the RGB values that are being measured on this white point measurement. So I had to figure out which of those modes to use. Um, a couple of them did it. I was kind of excited when I saw sRGB because I thought, well, this is a 100% sRGB display. Maybe that's the one I should use, but it, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, it didn't let me change the color temperatures. Anyway... What I ended up with on my BenQ was going with user. And I think standard probably would have worked, but I just decided to use user because it felt to me like, you know, from the description, like everything's user defined. Maybe that would even turn off some of the uh, features on the screen that I might not know about uh, with the dynamic, you know, contrast or, you know, some, some silly thing like that. So user is what I went with. And then I could go to define the RGB values individually. If I went to uh, menu, picture, color, temperature, user define, then I could do it. They all defaulted to a hundred at first and at a hundred on all of them, blue was too much. So I reduced blue and I brought it down to where it looked like it was right in the middle. And as I brought blue down, that actually kind of increased red and green. In fact, it, I, it 
green got too high at that point when I got blue down kind of the middle red was like almost right there and then green was too high so now I switched to green and I lowered green and I do this game playing back and forth back and forth until I get all three of them in the middle and or wait till the the text turned green because it may not be so precise on these menu options and and how you can change the color temperature where you can get all three of them exactly down the middle but the text will turn green underneath the RGB values at the point where it's at an acceptable setting where like, yes, it might not be totally perfect, but it is within the precision levels of what we need and, and is good. So I, I play around with them. Inevitably, as I did this, I've done this multiple times now, whenever I got the RGB values in line, that always changed the brightness levels too. They, they weren't the same. It wasn't the right candelas anymore. So I had to go back down, back to brightness and change it until it got to the middle. And then that might change the, the RGB values again. So I, I, you had to, I had to kind of go back and forth between color temperature settings and brightness until I got all of them perfect and lined up. And I'll put a uh, screenshot in there, what it looks like where the green, the text is green between the two. And to me, it looks like the blue is a little bit lower than the red and the green, but it's within the variance targets that DisplayCal has. So it said, you're good to go. Uh, same exact process on the ViewSonic screen, but the display modes were, di were different. First of all, it called them view modes. And I had standard, game, movie, web, text, Mac, and mono. And I thought, oh, Mac. Is that because it's Mac? I had to go look it up. Yes, it's it was designed for if you are connecting a Mac to the screen. And it did actually let me change all the values still. So that was a valid option. But I decided I'm not always going to have a Mac connected to the screen. Um, and so I wanted to go, I went with standard as the, the view mode to use. And then on the BenQ, getting to the color temperatures, it was color adjust, color temperature, user color. And then you had the RGB. Same process though. I, I did the, the brightness first, got it right, then attacked the, the RGB, whichever of them was the highest, lowered it, and then played around with changing it back and forth until I got everything to show up right in that uh, interactive display adjustment as that colorimeter is taking measurements constantly. Okay. That's the hard part. Now your work is over. You're done with the stuff you have to do to set up to, to run a screen calibration. So step number 10, or actually I guess it's step number nine, is, um, is going to do, is actually running the calibration now. So to do that, you are done with the measurements. So you hit on the interactive display, you hit stop measurement. And now it's going to stop using the colorimeter every half second to, to hit that target. And the button that says continue on to calibration will, be, will become available. And that's what you're going to hit. You click that button and you're going to sit back between 15 to 30, maybe 40, 40 minutes or so. And let DisplayCal do its thing. It's going to start, like the same target's going to be used, the same place on the screen. The colorimeter, it's going to start using the colorimeter to take measurements. And it's going to just start going and going and going. It's going to display color after color after color on that little target in that panel area. And, and it's going to take measurements. You can actually still kind of use your computer while this is going on if you need to. Just be careful you don't use something that's going to put uh, text over the top of that panel. Browsers will go underneath that that target and be fine if, as long as you can like read around it and stuff. But um, the safest bet is to just not use your computer while it's doing this. Maybe wiggle the mouse occasionally to make sure it doesn't go to sleep. Uh, but we should have changed the settings already so that that's not a problem. Um, okay, so that those are that's kind of the thing. When it's done, 
It's going to do a whole bunch of adjustments. By the way, there's there's like a time estimation in several places in the software. Like in the configuration settings, it shows a time estimation based on the settings you're putting there, and it shows a t- an estimated it shows an elapsed time and an estimated time remaining in the software as it's doing the calibration itself. I found both are pretty inaccurate, at least with what I'm doing. Maybe it's because I'm using that less expensive, slower colorimeter. And if you had the the more expensive one, it would be truer to that estimated time. It's totally possible. I don't know because I don't have the more expensive option. But just know if you got the ones that I'm recommending, saving yourself a little money in exchange for having to spend a little bit more time, those estimates are probably not very accurate. And it's probably two, maybe even close to three times more time than it's suggesting there. All right. Um, with that, when you, when it's done, it will finally it'll end with a confirmation message that says calibrating and profiling is complete. Gives you some numbers about like the color co- the gamut color space coverage that your monitor actually tested as having, and um, and you can on Windows. There's even a a preview profile on Mac. It, it's not there, so you can click it on and off and kind of compare the before and after. I, it, it didn't have that on Mac. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, but then you hit install profile and uh, and you put it in place and it uh, it you have your screen calibrated. Now, let's go to so final results. Let's let's talk about that. Like I said, th- there's this test I wanted to do. Can I get two different screens from two different manufacturers, driven by a, one driven by a Mac and one driven by a PC, to match, or at least roughly match, like pretty close. And this part of the reason this whole challenge or this whole thing came up was I've had this 4K monitor sitting right next to my 2K monitor, and I've, as I've edited photos, I've uh, I've been like looking at them back and forth between my, my Mac and my PC, and I had never calibrated my that 4K monitor connected to the Mac. And the colors were terrible. It was really, really bad. And I knew I couldn't trust it because I'd never calibrated it. So this last week, I finally had enough time to figure, I thought, I'm gonna fix this. I wanna get that that screen calibrated so that I can see what it looks like between the two. And it's just kind of another check on like, am I happy with how the image looks across two different screens and two different operating systems, but I gotta have it be calibrated so that at least the display start off at a pretty close uh, value and I can decide from there what I want to, if I want to change anything with how things have turned out, it's particularly skin tones in my client shoots that I, I've been looking at. And so, um, so I did the calibration test and I'm going to let you be the judge. You can tell me. And when I post this episode of the show notes, if you made it all the way to the end of this very long episode, you can tell me, what do you think? Do you think I accomplished the goal and got the monitors really close or not? Um, I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. You guys will will see what I want to engage the Facebook group here and see how that goes. But I'll put a picture. I'm going to just it's going to be an iPhone picture, not not any like don't judge the white balance of it or anything. Just do they look the same? Like it not do they both look yellow? Do they both look blue? That doesn't matter. That's not the point of it. But do they look like they are the same calibration? And uh, you'll let me know. Last thing before I I close up the show here. Um, display cow has a really cool thing that I didn't know about until I was doing this research that was, and that's this verification stage. Maybe it wasn't there before. I don't know, but this allows you, I think you can use this to compare your profile against different color spaces and see how they kind of compare, like how well does your profile show that color space? I think you can also compare it against a printing profile potentially if you, if you want to do that, maybe that information, cause it'll, it can give you a ton of like technical information as you do this comparison. 
Um, I don't find it valuable or useful to do that. So I'm not using it for that at all. But you can set this up so that you can get, it will tell you if it's time to recalibrate your screen. Like things have drifted enough in the performance of the display at a hardware level that you need to recalibrate and so that you'll, you'll have more consistency again. So the way you do that is uh, you go to the validation tab in DisplayCal. It's the fifth one over. And you have two controls there. You have test chart reference uh, or test chart or reference and simulation profile. You don't want to use simulation profile. That's for that other stuff I mentioned. There's some documentation I'll point you to in the show notes if you're interested in figuring out how to use that. Again, I don't find a lot of value in it, so I'm not going to go through it. But uh, if you're interested, go check that out and see, see what it can do. I know DisplayCal can do way more than I'm doing with it. Um, but to, to just test if you want to do this, um, test chart of reference is by default, it's extended verification test chart. Uh, again, that's kind of a sweet spot for my understanding between like the precision of our instrument and the quality of our displays and the time it takes to do this. So I pick that one. And then I just make sure the simulation profile is not checked. And then it's very simple. You just hit measurement report at the bottom. And it's going to take a, it's going to have you put the colorimeter on there again. It's going to put the target window up there again. And again, you're really supposed to do 30 minutes on and the colorimeter on the screen for 30 minutes in order to get an accurate kind of measurement about what's going on. And so then you, it, with all that in place, you do it. It takes some measurements, not nearly as long uh, a measurement thing here as you are in doing the, the actual calibration. It produces an HTML report, auto loads that into your default browser, whatever that's set up to be. And about you know, a third of the way down in the report is this summary table. What you're looking for is all green values. Um, and, and underneath it, it says like nominal tolerance passed. If you get all green and nominal tolerance passed, you don't need to recalibrate. If something has drifted an, a, a little bit and it's kind of come out of, it's, it's varied too much and it's out of range, then you need to recalibrate. And it's, it's a good way to be able to tell if you need to do it. So before client shoots now, this is what I'm going to do. Every client shoot, before I go to edit the photos, I'm just going to quickly run, like the screen has to be on for 30 minutes, so there's that, but I'm going to quickly run a recalibration uh, test on this verification screen and see if I need to do it. All right, this has been a horribly long episode. <laughs> you probably, I wonder how many people will, will stick with me through it, but I'm, I'm really glad if you did, and hopefully it's helpful. Let, let me know. I, I'd love to hear feedback if this has been something that's helpful to you. Even though I'm not a total expert on this thing, at least I, I think I figured out how to use the software well enough that I can get good results that I'm happy with, and hopefully it helps you to get results you're happy with. My dude out of the week is the iDisplay. i1 Display Studio, 150 bucks. the colorimeter from Xrite. Uh, I think it's, a, I, I'm tempted to see about getting the, a new one um, just to see if it does any difference. But I don't know, 150 bucks when I already have one that works and works fine <laughs> is doing what I need. I don't know if I need to do that. But for anyone who doesn't have it, that is a really good dude out of the week to go and get, get that to colorimeter. I uh, want to remind you, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. You can go check out the show notes and all the things. If, if, you don't want to have to listen to this audio setting, audio thing every time. You're going to want to check the show notes so that you can find the written. I have almost every word I just said written down in a good format for you to see out on the website. It, it actually is going to be over at Photo Taco Podcast where the actual guide is going to be. But the show notes will lead you. We'll have a link to that 
over at masterphotographypodcast.com. Uh, the Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast, is there. You can search for the show. There'll be a link in the show notes to it. You'd have to name a name, uh, a, a host of the show to get in. We want to keep listeners only, not spammers or bots, and uh, keep them out. Uh, Instagram for the show is at Master Photography Podcast. Love to have you tag us on your work. And my work, you can find me at jsharmanphotos.com. My other podcast, phototacopodcast.com, is, is a monthly show I do uh, about very technical topics similar to what I just went through here. Had a lot of them that are similar lately because it's been just me. And, and it's just like what I'm doing, the things that I'm involved with. And I decided to make podcasts out of it. And uh, calibration was a big thing for me this last week. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And those will be in the show notes as well. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, keep safe out there and keep shooting. And I'll see you again in another seven, eight, nine, I don't know, days. <laughs> Bye-bye.